Hey, podcast family. Hey, did you all hear that The Who has now recommended not to use the Bakri balloon for postpartum hemorrhage? Well, that's exactly the question that I was told by one of my medical students. Now, first off, I'm totally happy that this student had the self-drive and the self-direction to look up stuff on PPH. That's fantastic. But in this self-journey of discovery, this student found a headline that said that World Health Organization has new guidelines against balloon tamponade. Well, that student interpreted that to mean no bakery. Well, is that what it meant? Well, my reply was threefold. First, please don't call the World Health Organization or the WHO The Who because The Who is a 1960s rock group. And that's how you know you're getting a little older because that student had no idea what I was talking about. Second is be careful what you read and never read just a tagline or an abstract and think you have the whole picture. You've got to read the entire guideline or the entire article. And three, we're going to summarize this very concept in a not even out yet commentary from the college. So ACOG is putting this together and it's probably going to come out in March of 2022 under the section guidelines as a response to the World Health Organization's new recommendations or guidelines for the use of uterine balloon tamponade to treat postpartum hemorrhage. So let's set the record straight in this session talking about the World Health Organization and uterine balloon tamponade. Just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practices because medicine moves fast. This is Clinical Pearls. Before we get into the new WHO guidelines that were actually released in May of 2021, let's just briefly review some key concepts of PPH because it continues to be a worldwide scourge for maternal mortality and, of course, obviously morbidity. Now, here's the issue. Postpartum hemorrhage has had, of course, some definition changes. We used to call it a 500 ml loss at vaginal birth for a singleton or a 1,000 ml loss for a singleton C-section. Now, of course, it's a 1,000 milliliters of blood loss regardless of mode of delivery within the first 24 hours or any blood loss accompanied by signs or symptoms of hypovolemia. So we've made some progress there in terms of at least unifying the definition. And remember, of course, that postpartum hemorrhage has different tiers of intervention. The initial management of the first tier, of course, is physical exam and assessment of the four T's, tone, tissue, trauma, like trauma to the GU tract, and of course, thrombin, or ironically, the lack of thrombin. Those four T's are potential causes of postpartum hemorrhage. Remember that the first intervention includes bimanual massage, emptying of the bladder, and the use of uterotonic agents, either oxytocin, methyl ergonovine, 15-methyl prostaglandin F2-alpha, or misoprostol. Then second-line interventions includes things that are in the middle of medication but not yet surgery, and that includes things like uterine tamponade. Now, there's a commercially available technique here. It's called the Bakri balloon, but people have also self-made their own balloons, including large Foley's or these condom catheter stuffed or condom catheter dilated balloons that have been used to treat postpartum hemorrhage. There's also a negative pressure vacuum device called the Jada device that's now been FDA cleared and works totally opposite from outward pressure like the balloon. It causes a negative pressure collapse of the uterine cavity, and that can actually result in quicker containment of blood loss compared to the Bakri balloon. 
Now, I learned, as we just mentioned, some of the potential causes of postpartum hemorrhage can be broken up into the four T's. However, there's also the four R's for postpartum hemorrhage. Do you know what those are? The four R's starts with readiness, which really involves both medical and nursing awareness and education about the problem. Readiness leads then to quick recognition of the problem when it happens, which leads to quick response. And of course, after those three R's, the fourth R is a quick way or a proper way to record or report the event in order to standardize outcomes. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Next, remember the aim or the focus of the World Health Organization. They provide guidelines on a global perspective, worldwide. And so some of the recommendations or guidelines may not necessarily be completely applicable in other resource-rich areas of the world like the U.S., even though the U.S., of course, still has some rural locations where access to health care is limited. I mean, just in my state, in the state of Texas, there are people, there are areas of the population that they just can't even get to a physician, much less to a hospital. So remember, the World Health Organization, specifically their new guidance on the use of uterine balloon tamponade devices for postpartum hemorrhage, have to do with low resource or rural areas, not for high resource or resource rich areas like the majority of the U.S., Having said that, in May 2021, as part of their living guidelines, the World Health Organization published new updated recommendations on the use of uterine balloon tamponade for the treatment of postpartum hemorrhage. And it's caused some confusion, like even with my medical student, about the use of these balloon devices. Now, the reason that they made this recommendation is because we've had new data that's come up to light since the last recommendation on these devices. For example, on a recent Cochrane review that evaluated mechanical and surgical postpartum hemorrhage management, the review found that based on very low certainty evidence, the conclusion was drawn that intrauterine tamponade may actually increase total blood loss to greater than a thousand, suggesting that, quote, introducing condom balloon tamponade into low-resource settings on its own without multi-system quality improvement does not reduce postpartum hemorrhage or morbidity. All right, now there's a lot to unpack there. Did you get that? First, this is not talking about the commercially available balloon system that we use mainly here in the U.S. called the Bakri system. This used a condom-type balloon for tamponade. In other words, a, a makeshift version, if you will, of the Bakri. So it's not completely applicable to a commercially available product. Second, it cautioned against use of a condom-type balloon for uterine tamponade when it's used alone. 
Of course, in the U.S., we don't use balloon tamponade for postpartum hemorrhage as a standalone treatment. It's part of an algorithm. Remember, physical exam is first, bimanual massage, emptying the bladder, and then uterotonic agents. So it doesn't really apply that much to the U.S. because we never use balloon tamponade as its initial first-line treatment anyway. No, it wasn't just a Cochrane review that WHO used to update its recommendations. There was another systematic review that this guideline development group used. That review included all controlled studies, whether randomized or not, of uterine balloon tamponade compared with standard care for postpartum hemorrhage after vaginal delivery and had a composite outcome of death or need for surgical intervention. Now, there's a catch right there. This compared the balloon tamponade with other methods of postpartum hemorrhage control. But why would you do that? It's not one or the other. It's all one algorithm in one line going down different steps in a protocol. So again, this is kind of a weird systematic review. Nonetheless, that review that the WHO used found that there was no real evidence that uterine balloon tamponade actually worked. Well, that's because it's not meant to be used alone. So you see all the caveats here? So it's very easy to take the headline out of context. WHO says no to uterine balloon tamponade for postpartum hemorrhage. Well, wait a minute. It's deeper than that. It says no to makeshift balloon tamponade devices because there's no way to standardize those. And it says no to using it alone. So these updated WHO guidelines, remember they were in May of 2021, may have been misinterpreted as denying women access to this otherwise effective intervention for postpartum hemorrhage. And it's actually not doing that at all. It's just saying that the use of uterine balloon tamponade should be done in a standardized or an algorithm method and not used alone. So in the soon-to-be-released ACOG commentary on this guideline bulletin on this WHO change, here's what the college states WHO had as options in response to this new data. Remember, the data showed that uterine balloon tamponade used alone actually did not prevent PPH, but may actually contribute to more blood loss. So ACOG states the WHO had four options. The first was just to recommend in favor of the intervention and keep going. The second was to recommend against the intervention. The third option was to recommend uterine balloon tamponade only in specific contexts. And those contexts are pretty much the way it's done in the United States. And I'm going to show you what those are in just a minute. And finally, the college states that the fourth possible recommendation that WHO could have used was to recommend only in the context of rigorous research or as part of clinical trials. Once again, WHO chose the third option, which to recommend its use only in specific contexts. Now, podcast family, before I get into those specific contexts of when uterine balloon tamponade should be used, again, we're already doing that in the U.S., but I'm going to spell it out like the WHO says here in just a minute. We got to put this whole thing into context, okay? Remember, it remains unclear why the randomized trials that WHO used of uterine balloon tamponade failed to show benefit and actually appeared to show harm. That uncertainty can only be figured out by further high-quality randomized trials that we just don't have yet. Also, it's unclear if this is actually applicable to commercially available uterine balloon tamponade devices. So that's a big clinical pearl there. 
this was not the commercially available battery. So once again, if you just read the headline or the abstract, you could think that the WHO kind of canned or banned battery. That's not the case at all. There's actually a trial going on right now under the leadership of the WHO out of Vietnam that's hoping to give some information using these commercially available balloon devices to see if that changes. So once again, we do not know if this applies to high-resource areas where commercially available balloon tamponade devices are part of an algorithm. WHO just cautions against the use of self-made balloon tamponade when it's used alone outside of an otherwise bundle or package or algorithm for postpartum hemorrhage care. And we're at the end. So here's what WHO's new guidelines state. And as I read this, remember, you can just think, well, we do that already in the U.S. Duh, I get that. But remember, WHO's coming from a global perspective and addresses areas that may not have the same resources, unfortunately, that we do in the U.S. Or even that remote parts in the U.S., like remote parts of Texas, may not even have. So here's what WHO said in its new guidance. Uterine balloon tamponade is recommended for the treatment of postpartum hemorrhage due to apnea in women who have not responded to standard first-line treatments. See, told you, that's what we're doing in the U.S. already. The WHO also states that the following conditions should be met prior to or during the use of uterine balloon tamponade on a global scale. There should be immediate resources available that include surgical intervention and access to blood products. There should be a primary postpartum hemorrhage first-line treatment protocol like the use of uterotonics, transexamic acid, intravenous fluids, and these should be done first. Well, again, that's what we do in the U.S. WHO also states that other causes of postpartum hemorrhage should be reasonably excluded. Once again, didn't you say duh to that? I mean, that's what we do, right? That's our whole survey of the four T's. WHO also states that the procedure should be performed by healthcare professionals who are actually trained and skilled in the management of postpartum hemorrhage and in insertion of uterine balloon tamponade devices. Once again, hate to say it, but yeah, duh. And the last stipulation from WHO states that maternal conditions should be regularly and adequately monitored for prompt identification for any signs of deterioration. Well... Thanks, WHO. I would never have thought of that by myself. Sorry, sarcasm added for free. So did the WHO actually ban the Bacri? No, it didn't. It just cautions against the use of non-commercially available balloon tamponade devices used as a first-line standalone treatment for postpartum hemorrhage because it doesn't seem to work well that way. But if it's part of a postpartum hemorrhage bundle and algorithm, like it's mainly done in the U.S., it is a valuable alternative, a valuable option in the fight against postpartum hemorrhage. Podcast family, that brings us to a wrap. This hasn't come out yet in the college because we're actually taping this in the first week of February. It's February the 5th, 2022. And this guideline commentary from the college is set to be released in March 2022. So as always, thanks for listening to our podcast and thanks for being part of our podcast family. We'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls.